The Fontenelle Final Bell Podcast is presented by Fontenelle Hybrids. The solutions you need, the relationships you trust. Um. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Jeff Peterson joining us with Heartland Farm Partners as we look at the, we've got some reports coming out next week. A lot of folks talking yields, a lot of folks wondering what is this going to be, especially with uh, the weather the way it's been. We'll dive into the weather here in just a moment. But Jeff, first of all, as you look at this report coming out next week, could we see any surprises? Well, I think in the September report, it's always possible we do see some surprises. I think if there is a surprise, it's more likely that it comes on soybeans and corn. We did see a little more information out today. It's always nice to see Informa's numbers. They came out at 178.8 on the corn side versus a uh, 176 last month for them. Now I know that uh, that's actually just slightly higher than what USDA is, but I usually don't like to compare Informa's numbers to USDA's numbers. I like to just look at it and say, how do they compare from their report to report? Because they, they have a little bit different methodology, just like a lot of your other agencies do. Over on the bean side, they came in at 52.9 on their bean yield. That was versus, their, uh, versus a 50 bushel of the acre number last month. So they brought their numbers up. And I think the trend that we're seeing overall as the numbers start trickling in, as we see that report next week, is that people are thinking the corn yield could come down a little bit. But generally, we're seeing one and a half to two bushels higher on the bean yields. Looking at, and then speaking of uh, yields and everything else that kind of goes along with that, harvest progress, you know, we had been talking for the last couple of weeks, oh, it's going to be here the first week in September. You know, guys aren't going to be going to State Fair. They're not going to be going to Husker Harvest Days. And then Mother Nature kind of changed those plans a little bit with some welcome moisture. I mean, nobody's going to turn that away. No, they definitely won't. We'll take moisture whenever we get it. We start building our profile for next year. But you're exactly right. Uh, These cooler conditions, these wetter conditions have slowed this crop up. We were thinking that we were running, you know, two to two and a half weeks ahead of pace. And now we're slowing down to about a week ahead. And then honestly, in some cases on some of these soybeans, we're going to come in about right where we normally see harvest get started. Give you an idea across the U.S., though, and this would be on corn, Louisiana, in the report that came out on Tuesday, was 94% harvested. Mississippi was 57% harvested. Alabama was at 49%. And they're they're actually way ahead of last year, which was at 29%. And Georgia was at 46%. And what we're hearing for yields overall, I don't think this will carry through to the rest of the Corn Belt. But so far, yields are probably a little bit less than they were hoping for. But that's probably to be expected based on the yields or based on the weather that we've seen in those areas. But for soybeans, I've seen a lot of readings that this could have, at least the amount of rains we've had going into the Dakotas, Minnesota, could have a big change on that bean crop because it's going to help out just at the right time. I think so, and I definitely think what it's going to mean on the bean yields is definitely going to plump those berries up. One thing we're hearing coming out of Kansas, some of the guys are saying they're a little disappointed because it's much like what the Pro Farmer Tour found is that they didn't get that next growth or that secondary bloom to happen to put on additional pods with some of this moisture that came in. So in a lot of cases, it sounds like we're just going to be working with the pods that were present. Looking at ethanol demand for corn, how is that looking as we head into this fall harvest? And I know some numbers came out today, right? Yeah, they did. And actually, they looked really good. Uh, 1.087 million barrels per day. And that would be a a new record uh, for this week in September. So we're off to a really good start. 
And if you look at it, that's 6.2% above last year. And sometimes this time of year, depending on our supply, we come in and, and our numbers back off a little bit. But with the plentiful supply of corn and with the cheaper basis levels and the cheaper futures prices, the ethanol plants are running as hard as they can. There was some talk uh, during uh, not only State Fair, but I was at a soybean field day or a soy health field day, excuse me. And producers are talking corn wise in this ethanol and trade. Not a lot of talk has been on Canada and ethanol. It's been more on the on the dairy and other issues. But could there be some effects on this ethanol? Should things not get worked out with Canada? That is definitely one of the risks. Uh, we're our two economies are so tied together. It, there's always these items that come up that we don't generally think about and and could that come into play as a negotiating point that Canada uses I, I think it's possible I, I really think we're good enough trading partners that we will get through work through our differences but that is one that we really have to watch closely because the demand that we have going into Canada on ethanol is very important to our industry how's exports been considering the trade that we've had to deal with with issues with corn and soybeans you know, and that's really why I wanted to bring it up. Uh, we ended up having uh, yesterday the, the census numbers comes out. So each week we generally get the export inspections and the export sales. But the uh, census numbers officially, that would catch anything that really those uh, export sales and export inspection numbers wouldn't catch in the weekly reports. And what was very encouraging is actually for corn, for the month of July, 266.4 million bushels. That was up 42.17% compared to July of 2017. And surprisingly, Susan, over on soybeans, 126 million bushels. That was up almost 48% compared to July of 2017. Now, to put a little bigger look at a window of time on there, we took a look at, well, what do the exports look like from March through August? And actually on corn, we would be up 305 million bushels over last year, and that'd be a 28% increase from last year. Soybeans, believe it or not, 127 million bushels higher, about 23.8%. So what we see overall on the export side is even though there's a lot of talk and concern there, so far our numbers all the way through the summer have been very strong on both the corn and the bean side. We are going to come in a little bit lower than we'd like to see for exports as we finish out the year on beans, as we came into the end of August. Now, but the big concern actually comes as we now move forward from this time. Uh, the positive thing was this last week we did end up seeing another shipload of beans actually shipped to China. So that was a good news. That shipped out of the Pacific Northwest and actually came off the Columbia River. Not a lot of talk about that, but we'll have to watch more on that going forward. All right. Well, stick around, folks. We have more of the Fontenelle Final Bell coming up after this on the Rural Radio Network. Peace. Welcome back to the Fontenelle Final Bell here on the Rural Radio Network. I'm Susan Littlefield. Jeff Peterson's joining us with Heartland Farm Partners. As we left the discussion of grains, we're going to continue to start out here in the second half. Let's talk about the Fabry Acres. Uh, what forecasts are you seeing, especially when it comes to our corn, soybeans, and wheat, Jeff? Yeah, we're hearing a lot of discussion, and we ourselves are spending quite a bit of time just starting to see what are some of the surveys that are going on. And it's always good to see Fabry's numbers come out, and probably as expected there. They're showing soybean acres down 4.6 million acres. That would take them back down to 85 million acres, and it was amazing. This year, you know, it was the first time that we saw soybean acres higher than corn. That goes all the way back to, I should say, back to 1983 is the last time we've had that happen. 
Over on the corn side, that meant a couple more million acres of corn, which would take us up to 91.1 million acres. For wheat, about 2 million more acres would take it to 50.1 million acres. Now, overall, our thought would be, I think that's kind of a minimum that we could see for some changes. Unless we end up seeing some differences in price, I think we could actually give up even a few more acres on the soybean side, maybe another million, maybe a million and a half. Uh, some people are questioning where these other acres are going. We're not sure in FAPRI's numbers how they take into account to prevent plants, so it's always possible that there could be some of those acres sliding off to that. But overall, as we go into this next year, you know, we have to be preparing for lower bean acres, higher corn and wheat acres. Lots of things to think about, especially on the wheat side with uh, moisture increasing like it has been. Good news for those guys that need to get some planting done. Yeah, it is very good news, and, and we're reaching that time. You know, they're they're going to be out there getting that crop in. If they have some more moisture and with prices where they're at versus wheat, that becomes a good alternative in many people's rotations. Well, switch gears. Let's jump over to the livestock side. African swine fever, it just continues to increase in, in China. What does this mean for U.S. pork exports? Well, the latest we're hearing is that we were up to 13 cases so far, and this is according to the Chinese Ag Ministry. And that's the big thing. I, I don't think, you know, we could see them do some substitution going from the pork side over to the poultry side. But I think they, they definitely have a taste for the pork. And one thing we have to keep in mind with them owning Smith, uh, Smithfield, we don't know how the tariffs exactly work. But as we've talked in previous sessions, if you've got a, a company that's uh, state-operated and, and owned by the Chinese, and, and ultimately those tariffs as they collect them as they're coming in, if other entities are, that are owned by the government are having to pay them, then we're sitting there and going, well, I'm not sure if there's really a tariff. But unfortunately, what we currently have, Susan, is there is 62% tariffs in place. So we're going to have to see something there in order for us to be able to compete. So unfortunately, it probably means that some other countries will pick up more of the business, but that at least opens the door for us to be able to sell those countries some soybean meal and some maybe some additional corn. So I think overall, I do think this situation will get worse in China, but I don't think we're going to see a net decrease in demand overall nationally for corn and soybeans across the world. I'm curious, we haven't had a lot of talk about it, and you and I were talking about this during commercial break. What does this mean for imports, um, our biosecurity? I know the National Pork Board has really been pushing folks to, to be vigilant. So what does that mean for us here in the States? Yeah, that's, that is a great question, and that's probably one that um, I don't really have a great answer for you. So I think that'll be a good chance to pick up and talk to some other guests down the road that maybe are more versed in that area, Susan. All right, let's look at the uh, July's beef and export numbers and pork. Yeah, exactly, and and that's always what's nice to get a chance to see how those numbers came in. And, and as we'd expect, uh, July was a great month for pork, $425 million pounds of pork went out the door 8.9 percent higher than last year so it's great to see that year over year increase over on the beef export side 297 million pounds that's 16.8 percent higher than where we were last year so overall we've got some good demand on the export side you know going forward it, it looks like we've still got continued strong demand it would be really nice to go ahead and get that tariff taken off with Mexico and get that NAFTA agreement fixed. And I think we could even see some additional exports pick up further down the road. Look at, let's jump back to the grain side because we've got some time. Let's talk about quickly about Argentina. You know, the situation with Argentina is pretty concerning where they had to tap their 
credit line that they had from the IMF. You know, they had a $50 billion credit line and, and they had to tap that early. But one of the, one of the conditions that the IMF was putting on them is that, you know, they were in the process of trying to reduce their exports or their tax on exports. And actually what the IMF has said is that, okay, if you're going to take this loan early, now you have to come back in and you're going to have to gain some additional money and we have to be confident that you can pay this back. And so as a result, they actually increase their export tax on, on the corn and also on the soybean side. That's going to be good for us long term. That's going to give us a chance to compete even better with Argentina and especially at a time where their bushels on both the corn and bean side are needed. I think it puts us in a better position to even be more competitive and get more exports on the books. Some great things to think about as we head into the final trading day of the week. Best way for producers to get a hold of you, Jeff? Have them give me a call at 402-366-4694. Check us out on the web at heartlandfarmpartners.com or follow me on Twitter at jeffpeterson01. And that's the Fontenelle Final Bell on the Rural Radio Network. Radio Network.